Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Chris, for that welcome, that announcement. Uh, Thank you all for being here today. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I get super nervous up here. I know I'm up here singing every once in a while. It doesn't hide the nerves. That's just how I am. So if I ramble, if I start talking fast, just wave your hand from the back, please. I would appreciate that. Um, Again, so my name's Rob. I am local. I grew up in Gridley, just down the road here. Um, I ended up going to Yuba College, getting my degree at William Jessup down in Rockland in Christian leadership. Um, So I'm a local guy. One of the things I love about this area, and you may love it too, is your access to nature. From this little town to Yuba City, you can get two hours that way and hit the snow, cold weather, two hours that way, hit the beach, a little warmer weather, not exactly warm sandy beaches, but either way, we've got access to nature. And I love being out there in it. I just love it. <clears throat> One of the places that I love going when I get the chance isn't in California, it's actually way up north in Yellowstone. Has anybody ever been up to Yellowstone before? A few of you, great. If you have not made it up there, you need to do it. This is more or less what it looks like um, in a single snapshot. Yellowstone is a beautiful area. Uh, mountains, the scenery is amazing. One of God's greatest creations, um, in my opinion. While you're there, you'll see all sorts of wildlife. This is, uh, these are buffalo or bison. They are everywhere in the park. You'll see wolves, bear, uh, moose, and I'm sure I'm missing about a dozen others, but they're everywhere. When I was in high school, uh, my Boy Scouts trip, my Boy Scout troop, decided to take a trip up Yellowstone. Now, I was heavily involved in Boy Scouts growing up. Um, actually, being involved in Boy Scouts was a requirement for me to get my driver's license. So, being in Boy Scouts was very important to me. This is actually me with um, my dad and my brother. Uh, we worked all the way up through Boy Scouts, all the way through the end of high school. So, one year, we decided to get together with a group of friends and head to Yellowstone. We spent about three days camping through the park. An amazing experience. It was great. One of those mornings, we woke up to find one of those huge buffalo in our campground. In their opinion, this is their neighborhood, not ours. We were just visiting. So we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And of course, we're going to take a picture with this buffalo because who would not want to take a picture of this thing in your campground? They're about the the size of a small VW bug, by the way. Um, huge animals, and not the brightest high school students. So we decided, let's take a picture. So we got six or eight of us on one side of the buffalo and decided we're going to stand here while the other two are standing on the other side and take a picture. Sounds smart, right? Don't get too close, keep your distance, but still be in the same shot. So we're over here smiling. Cheese, click, take a picture. The guys on the other side say, great, looks really good. How about you take a step closer? Okay, sure, why not? So we take a step closer. Click. Looks good, good job. Why don't you guys come a little closer? Sure, why not? So we took a step closer. 
Click. Looking pretty good, guys. Let's try one more. Let's get a little bit closer. We take a step closer. And the buffalo stopped grazing and looked straight at us. We all froze. What are we going to do? What's the thing going to do? We don't know. It stared at us for a second and then decided everything was cool and went back to grazing. Click. Took a picture. Looks good, guys. Let's take one more. Come a little bit closer. I'm about to take a step, and one of our friends says, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe you should stop and think about it. Well, one of the other two says, nah, I think we're okay. Come a little bit closer. So being the bright 16, 17-year-olds that we were, we took a step closer. Took one more step, and that buffalo's immediately jerked its head up, looked at us, looked at the other two, and did the quick math in its head. It decided two is less than eight. They're in my sights. Does anybody know how fast a buffalo can run? I learned that day they can go from zero to 35 miles an hour like that. And it is true. That thing went from completely standing, jumped all four feet in the air, landed on the road full speed towards the other two. Lucky for them, they were next to the van. They jumped in, closed the door, and everyone was safe. But I will never forget that experience for two reasons. The first lesson I learned was, don't mess with buffalo. They will mess you up. Second is, be careful who you listen to. While some people just want to have fun and hang out, others are going to have your best interest in mind. Be careful who you listen to. Now, that lesson filters over to more than just our interaction with wildlife. It talks about friendship. It's easy to find people that we want to hang out with. It's easy to find people that, that we can have fun with, that we have similar interests. And while we might consider those people to be our friends, there's a whole lot more to being, there's a whole lot more than fun to being friends. True friendship means being active in each other's lives. True friendship means being active in each other's lives. It means wanting the best for each other. It means even if we potentially hurt your feelings and say, no, that's not a good idea, that's okay. I'm your friend, and I want the best for you. So where do we draw the line on friendship? How do we know when we're being just friendly or if we're actually being true friends to each other? Fortunately, we are not the first people in history that have had this question or had this struggle. The Bible is full of stories of friendships. There are true friendships that run deep. There are surface-level friendships that may look good up, up front, but in the background they fall away. And there are friendships that are just flat-out fakes, that are no good for anybody. King Solomon in Proverbs, as we finish out our, our Uncommon Sense series, he's one of the guys that talked most about friendship um, all throughout Proverbs. It's all over. And as opposed to spending a few hours going through all of that this morning, we're just going to hang out in Proverbs 27 today and see what he had to say. So Proverbs 27 is where we're starting. Written by King Solomon. And a little known fact, Proverbs did not come directly from King Solomon to the Bible. It kind of took a, a sideways trip. It was collected by King Hezekiah and his men 300 years after being written, which is how it came to be in the Bible today. Now, King Hezekiah at this time was fighting for Judah's political 
and religious freedom against the people of Assyria. As he led his people, there were certain things that he had to know. He had to know who they were. He had the head of confidence in who they could trust. And he had to know who they were supposed to be. Those same things filter over into friendship, which I think is why it was so important to Hezekiah. As friends, we have to know who we are. We have to know who we can trust. And we have to know who you want to be. Without those three things, we can't really have a true, meaningful friendship with anybody, including ourselves. So looking at King Hezekiah, if true friendship ever mattered to anybody, it was him. In this moment, fighting for his freedom and for his people, fighting to keep God's people whole. So what words of wisdom would you expect to find from God in this passage? Thinking about friendship, my first, my first thought was something more along the lines of a Disney movie. You know, you've got a friend in me. Something like that where, hey, just be there for each other. Have each other's back. That's what friendship's all about, right? That's not what we find here. For King Hezekiah, again, going up against the entire nation of Assyria, he knew it was going to take more than, hey, just have each other's back to get the job done. It was going to take more than, hey, I accept you no matter what. Just do your best out there to be sure that they claimed victory. He knew it was going to take tough love. He knew it was going to take struggle. But that in the end, that tough love and struggle was going to bring them closer together than ever before and unite them as a people. So what words of wisdom did Hezekiah find in Proverbs 27? Let's look at verse 5 really quick this morning. Proverbs 27, 5 reads, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now wait, is that right? Better is open rebuke. Shouldn't it say better is acceptance? That's really what friendship is about, right? God is a God of love. What does rebuke fit into that picture? Better is love, right? They've got it backwards. No. It's a contrast between two opposites. Solomon is saying is that friendship gives you two choices. Rebuke, love. One's friendship, one's not. If I'm going to take it at face value, I'm choosing love. Better is love, right? Again, better is open rebuke. I think about... I mentioned being up in, in Gridley. I think about playing football. I didn't play that many years. Um, I was not built to be a football player. I learned very quickly. But in the years I was there, I learned from my football coaches that uh, rebuke is something that happens often on the football field. If you do it wrong, if you miss a catch, if you miss a play, you read it wrong, there's going to be rebuke. It's not going to come quiet. It's going to come swift and quickly, and there's going to be some yelling and shouting. In my mind, when I think rebuke, I picture myself on that football field, and warm, fuzzy friendship is not what comes to mind. Better is rebuke, though, is what it says. So let's put rebuke to the side for a minute and focus on the second half. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. So love is up there, but the word hidden caught my eye. True friendship is not hidden. True friendship is in your face. We don't choose to isolate each other as much as possible. No, we hang out together. We spend time together. We don't choose to let each other struggle 
In the tough times, we support each other. We don't choose to let each other suffer in pain. We're there to help. For my friends, they don't choose to just ignore my super cheesy sense of humor. They actually laugh every once in a while. Even my son will laugh at my jokes, which I appreciate. So what about you? When you hear the word friend, who do you picture? Is it somebody hidden that's never there for you? Or do you picture somebody that's there for you in both good times and bad times? If I were a betting man, I'm going to go with the second one. True friendship isn't hidden. They know who you are on more than a superficial level. They are someone that you can trust. They are someone that is willing to help you be the person that you need to be. Whoever it may be, I think we can agree that hidden is not the word that describes friendship. So if we can agree that hidden love is not a sign of true friendship, then the opposite must be true. What was it again? Open rebuke. Not open love. Open rebuke. Now, if I were writing this, that is not the word I would have used. Let's think about it. Right now, we are in the season. It's Christmas, of course, but it's also Hallmark season, um, especially in my house. Hallmark Channel is on a lot. And it's not just Hallmark anymore. Pretty much any streaming service that you want to pick up, you're going to find some sort of Christmas magical movie about love and finding who you are on the inside and making a magical connection, and it all turns out hunky-dory in the end. Let's for a moment consider what happens if Hallmark decides to use those words synonymously and replace love with rebuke. Picture that for a second. How awesome would that be? I think that Hallmark would have a much different target market if there was a movie full of rebuke from beginning to end. I'll probably watch them more often if that were the case. That's the thing, though. I think the world's approach to rebuke and God's approach to rebuke come from two very different motivations. When being rebuked by someone with the wrong motivation, it hurts. It's not fun. There may be some of you here today or listening online that maybe somewhere in your past you walked away from the church for that exact reason. There was a tough conversation There was a rebuke that happened, and it came from the wrong spirit. It came from the wrong direction. It wasn't from a sense of, hey, I care about you, and I want the best for you. It came from an attitude of, hey, you know what? Guess what? I'm right. This is what the Bible says. You're wrong, and whatever you might be feeling, I don't care. You need to change, and you need to do it now. Those conversations happen. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, let me just say, I'm sorry. As Christians, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we confuse the idea of right to tear people, tear people. Tensions might be right. Jesus doesn't tell us to tear people, tear people down in anger. The Bible clearly says you need to build people up in love. Sometimes we forget that and we take the world's approach to rebuke and we leave a wake of destruction in our path. Really, it's just a reminder that regardless of where we stand in our relationship with God, we are imperfect, and we all need a little bit of help. And sometimes it means we take the wrong approach to rebuke. 
Surprisingly, God's approach to rebuke is much more hallmark channel than you might think. God's approach to rebuke is all about love. It's all about a change of heart. It's all about personal growth. At its purest core, it's all about love. In his eyes, rebuke is one of the purest forms of love that you can show. And when it's done in the right spirit, it's not going to tear anybody down. It will build people up. There might be pain in the moment, but in the long run, it is one of the purest forms of love that God can show us. Even looking back at where we started with King Hezekiah, there was an understanding that he loved his people enough to rebuke them. Again, Hezekiah was fighting for his people, for their survival. His army would be going up against the armies of Assyria, and not just Assyria, against their allies. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that they were going up against. Hezekiah knew at that moment that a rally cry of, hey guys, just do your best out there, was not going to cut it. If victory was the real goal, it was going to take a tough love and training and rebuke. I mean, we see this in our own military today, right? How many of you out there have either served presently or, or past? I know we've got a few of you out there. Thank you all for your service. That is awesome. So, from my understanding, boot camp is one of the best experiences you can ever go through, right? Boot camp, you're just so loved and appreciated that it's, just, it's like being at a resort 24-7. Being pampered, massages. If you do something wrong, this is the guy that comes out, right? He sits you down quietly, let's have a cup of coffee, let's talk about our feelings a little bit. And at the end, I'll share with you how maybe you might want to improve. Maybe. But it's all about love, right? No. There is open and swift and sometimes extreme rebuke. But why? What they're telling you is, hey, you're doing it wrong. If you keep this up, you're going to expose yourself to danger. You're going to expose your team to, to some sort of harm. And there's a fact that you might die. You need to stop. You need to get it right. Get on board. Come on now. How about teachers? Any of you ever go to school? Should be most of you. What happens if you get an answer wrong on a test in school? Does the teacher just ignore it? You get your, back, you get your test back, and you got a big, bright A-plus on top of it, right? Not how it works. Maybe the teacher just says, oh, you know what? They'll figure it out eventually. Let them just work through the problems. Eventually, they'll catch on, right? Mm -mm. That's not how it works. If there's an error made, there's a correction. There's rebuke. The teacher's saying, hey, if you keep this up, you're going to get future answers wrong on future tests. It's going to affect you getting into colleges, and it will eventually could affect your career and your family. You need to stop. You need to back up for a minute. You need to get it right. Get on board. Come on. Now, either of these, either boot camp or from teacher, our teachers, neither of these come from an inward anger approach. It may feel like it in the moment, but their motives are outward. They care about you. They know that your well-being and your future depends on them rebuking you in that moment. They want you to have the best possible future. With God, it is exactly the same. He doesn't want to sit back and just, hey, he'll figure it out eventually, right? 
He doesn't want to watch us fall. He wants to be active in our lives. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we've screwed up. I'm not sure about y'all, but I know I will definitely screw up again. But I can guarantee you, whatever that screw up's going to be, there's going to be guilt. It's going to hurt. There'll be suffering. But because God loves us, there will be open rebuke. Not out of hatred, but because He loves us. And He only wants the absolute best for our future. That's why in Jeremiah 29, he shares with us the following. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God does not rebuke his people for any other reason than his deep and unfailing love for us. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And I thank God that he loves us enough to rebuke us, to bring out that good in us. And now again, looking at this from the perspective of friendship, you and I are a long ways off from being God. Not even close. But he still paints a perfect picture of what friendship should be. There is no one more faithful than him. And that makes the words in the next verse in Proverbs all the more meaningful. When we get back into Proverbs 27, we were in 5, verse 6 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the wounds are the kisses of an enemy. Again, Solomon is painting a stark contrast, one against the other again. Faithful, profuse. And at first glance, he's got it backwards again, right? I mean, you have a friend on one side, an enemy on the other one. Wounds versus kisses. I kind of get it now having two daughters. I'm against the whole kissing thing. At least until they're in their 30s. But... Wounds versus kisses. Most times I would choose kisses over wounds. But he's actually saying that wounds from a friend are a good thing. And you know what? He's absolutely right. I'm going to stop for a second. Please don't go home today. Seek out your friend and punch him in the face. Please don't do that. Wounds from a friend are a a good thing, but in the right way. What Solomon is actually doing here is talking about that open rebuke again. Yes, friendship's about having similar interests. It's about having fun together. It's about supporting each other and helping each other in the tough times. It's all part of the package. But there's more. True friendship is about helping each other be the best person possible. It's saying, yes, I accept who you are, but I want so much more for you. And that might, be, and that might mean hurting each other's feelings every once in a while in the process. As followers of Jesus, it's the same story. It's helping each other's being this, the best Christian possible. It's acknowledging the fact that, we're not, that we are all sinners and not rejecting each other because of it. That's why at City Walk we have things like city groups. I was a little nervous to get started in city groups myself. Now I wouldn't take them away for the world. City groups are a place where we come together and acknowledge the fact that we're imperfect, that we're messed up, and that we're doing this thing called life together and just doing our best to make it through. But we can love and support each other, call each other out when necessary, and make it through and come out better in the end. It's important to recognize the sin. It's even more important to not just ignore it. Sometimes as a friend, that means we have that tough conversation. 
Sometimes it means we hurt each other's feelings in the process. But that doesn't mean that we hate each other. What it really means is that we love each other enough to say something. And it's true, it's not always easy. I'm probably the first that will step back and not have that conversation. Way too often I'm afraid to, to hurt someone's feelings. I'm afraid to put myself out there, put my own insecurities aside, to have that tough conversation with a friend. But when I was at uh, William Jessup, uh, we learned about an author, uh, John Maxwell. Maybe some of you have read some of his books. He's an author on leadership, um, also a pastor and, and a well-known speaker. And really, leadership focuses or blends in with, with friendship. Because really, as friendships, all we're trying to do is lead each other to be the best possible version of ourselves. But what John said about having difficult conversations was this. He says, when you have a difficult conversation, you need to ask your, when you don't want to have a difficult conversation, you need to ask yourself, is it because it will hurt them or me? If it's because it will hurt you, then you're being selfish. Ouch. Looking at my own experience, he is absolutely right. I don't know how many times I've thought something like, oh, I just don't want to be mean. Well, let's look at that. I don't want to be mean. That's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. Not about my friend's need. Or maybe something like, hmm, I don't want him to get mad at me. Again, me, my feelings, me possibly getting hurt in the process. Or how about this one? I don't want to hurt our friendship. I don't want to hurt our friendship. You're putting your friendship above your friend. And if you're putting your friendship above what your friend really needs, then it's really not much of a friendship at all. Nobody likes to be the bad guy. And we're not talking about calling out our friends on every little small thing that, that, that he or she may do wrong. But if we as friends don't care enough to call each other out on the big stuff, then who will, really? Like Solomon said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So why do we do it? Why the wounds? Why the rebuke? With all this negativity, where's the positive that comes from it? It comes from later on in Proverbs 27. Solomon says in 27:17, he says, "Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another." In a chapter that talks about friendships and relationships, all of a sudden Solomon is talking about sharpening tools. Which, come to think of it, might be part of the draw to Hezekiah. Again, Hezekiah is preparing for battle. Maybe the, and to him, the idea of sharpening swords kind of personalizes the idea of, of preparing for battle and coming together behind us a single cause. Have any of you ever held a, or used a freshly sharpened sword? Probably not very many in our day. I know I never have. How about a brand new gardening tool or a brand new set of knives? Yeah? A few of you? Good. I know uh, when we first got married, we got kind of the cheaper end set of knives, and then a few years later, we got a much nicer one. And I never knew I could love a knife set, but it was great. I found excuses to use it. You know, chopping vegetables, chopping meat. I learned that I really liked to cook. And that knife set helped me many, many times. However, a few years down the road, uh, we decided that we were going to remodel our daughter's bedroom. I promise these will connect in a second. 
This is our daughter's bedroom now. This is the, the, the room our, our girls share. Um, on the opposite wall, there's a small piece of trim that goes all the way down the wall that actually hides a wire. It's a very small detail, but in my mind, the room would not be complete without it. We had to have it there. So that small piece of trim is a very soft wood, and I had the right tool in the garage to trim the back of that wood so there was space for that wire. So, being the smart person I am, I thought, I should probably go to the garage and get it. Being the lazy person that I am, I thought, I don't want to go all the way to the garage. And about halfway there, I glanced over and saw the knife set. So I thought, huh, a steak knife will do the job, right? So I break out the steak knife, and I'm trimming the back of this little piece of wood with a steak knife in the kitchen. My wife looks at me, as she's laughing right now, and says, are you sure you want to be doing that? It's fine, I'm almost done, no big deal. And I got about three quarters of the way through it, just fine. Then I gained my confidence a little bit, I started going faster. Long story short, a trip to the emergency room later. I still have the tip of my thumb, which is nice, um, but the scar that's there and a few stitches showed me that was not the best call. I learned two very important lessons that day. One, steak knives are not meant for construction projects. If you learn anything today, learn that one. I also learned that every once in a while, your knives need to be sharpened. Whether it's steak knives or gardening tools or swords, the same lesson applies. We have three options. We can just leave it there, leave it alone, and it's going to stay dull. We can keep using it or use it the wrong way, and it's going to get worse. Or we can sharpen it, and it's going to get better. Our friendships are exactly the same. We have three options. We can try and live without them. We can make them worse. Or we can work to try and make them better. Maybe for some of you, living without any real close friends is where you're at. And I can definitely see the attraction. It means no arguments. It means no disagreements. It means no uncomfortable confrontations. It means no hurt feelings. It means no anger. But if you're looking at friendship from an iron sharpens iron perspective, it also means no sharpening. It means no growth. It means no improvement. And while the immediate result might feel like peace and relief, the long-term effect will leave us in a deeper state of depression. In our world right now, we're facing COVID and a lot of this isolation. So I encourage you, if you're either in this group or know somebody that might be, please reach out to them. Now is the time to work to sharpen each other and make sure we're all doing okay. Now, there might be some of you in the second group. You have close friends, but you're not being sharpened in the right way. You're heading down a path, and then you know somewhere in the back of your head that it's not right, but as opposed to fixing the issue, you just keep on pressing on. You just keep on going. And I get it. It's hard to turn around. It's hard to admit that you're wrong, and it's hard to take a look at your friends that you've had for years and evaluate the value of that friendship. friendship. How can I leave them now? How can I turn my back on them? Now, I'm not saying you have to completely abandon your friends, but I am saying that the reach of that friendship needs to be considered. And when it comes down to it, if you're not sharpening each other in your friendships, then the opposite is probably happening, and a change needs to be made. Now, if you're in either of those two categories, again, I get it. It's easier to avoid the confrontation. It's easier to just avoid the pain, 
avoid the growth and just press on. But I do promise that real growth will not happen in your life without making a few sparks. And that's what option three is all about. It's about being able to grow together and improve not just your friendship, but improve who you are as a person. It's about relying on your friends to put you in place when you're needed. And then being willing yourself to provide that feedback as, it, as the time calls. It's about working out the rough edges, making sparks, being more focused on the end result than on the status quo. That friendship's about becoming sharper together. Now, let's be honest for a second. Friendship is not easy. There's going to be tough times, but it's in those tough times that true friendship rises to the top, and the surface-level friendships will fail us. It's in those times that we have to ask ourselves, what kind of friend am I going to be? Will I sharpen my friends, or will I make them dull? If we're taking Solomon at his words in Proverbs, then the answer is pretty simple. We must be faithful enough to our friends to put it all on the line for their well-being. We have to be willing to openly rebuke our friends when it's necessary, because that's a part of loving each other. Yes, in the moment it's going to hurt, there's going to be rebuke, there's going to be sparks. We may be offended. We may feel attacked. We may even cry. What Solomon is saying is that's okay. What Solomon is saying is that when it's done with the right motive, those wounds aren't going to last forever. Those wounds are going to heal stronger than ever before. Gandhi once said, be the change that you want to see in the world. From the perspective of friendship, we can say, be the friend that you want to see in your friendship. Be the change you want to see in your friendship. It starts with you. Again, back at the beginning, King Hezekiah and his men, they weren't out to change the world. They were trying to, to preserve what was vitally important to the R, their way of life as God's people. He and his men saw something in these verses that spoke to them, that helped them become the best that they could be. But Solomon's words weren't meant just for them. They weren't meant just for Solomon's time. They apply to us today. What they're saying is that God loves us enough to talk about your friendships in the Bible. So for those of you that, that are, consider yourselves followers of Jesus, I want you to ask yourselves a very important question. What do your friendships look like? Do your friends build you up or do they bring you down? Are you building up your friends or are you a burden in their lives? What does rebuke look like in your friendships? Is it there? Is it non-existent? A friendship built in Christ consists of both love and rebuke. And when done in the right spirit, it will sharpen both of you. Now, others of you may have walked away from the church or may be skeptic about this whole Jesus thing in the first place. And that's okay. The fact that you're listening today means you may have questions. and You may have doubts. Please ask questions. Looking at your past, maybe somebody knocked you down. Maybe somebody dulled your blade and you just don't know how to recover. Maybe you were trying to do your best to do everything that you knew you were supposed to do and you couldn't seem to get it right. Maybe you looked for support and you looked to the people that you thought you could trust and they let you down. 
There's nothing that hurts more than looking to somebody for help and being betrayed. I've been there myself. I've been down the wrong road. And it's way too easy to ignore that little voice inside your head that says, hey, maybe you should turn around. Hey, maybe you should go this direction instead of that. It's way too easy to just ignore that and keep on going. But as hard as it might be to break free, I'm living proof that if you ask God for help, he will put you on that right path. I spent years going down a different path. I spent years down a path that someone told me, that many, many people told me, was the right way to go. And the little voice in my head said, nah, I don't think you're right. I think you need to turn around and go the other direction. I spent half my life on that path trying to convince myself that no, if I just put my head down and keep going, I'm going to get there and this is going to be right and everything's going to be just fine. And it never was. It never was. And eventually I just had to walk away. I had to step back and say, okay, God, you've got this. I have no idea what's next, but I know that this isn't it. I know I need to go somewhere else. Shortly after stepping away, God answered that prayer, and he put a friend in my path that I needed to have. Shortly after that, I met this cute little girl. Her name was Randy. At the mall in Yuba City, of all places. I know that when you think romance, that's what you think is the mall in Yuba City. <clears throat> but that's where I met her. And she, despite the, the, the innocent face and the beautiful smile, she was one of the few people that was willing to ask me some tough questions and really make me reconsider where I had been going and put me on the right path towards God. She was willing to say, hey, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe you should look at it from this perspective. If it were not for her putting me on that path, I would be a different person today. Without God, I would have never met her and had her in my life. And to be very honest with you, without her, I wouldn't know God today. I promised I wasn't going to cry. It's very possible that God will not lead you down the path that you expect. It's very possible that the friendships that he lays in your path are not what you imagined. It is very possible that the path that opens up to you and the friendships that fall in your path are the ones that you need. So wherever you might stand, believer, skeptic, somewhere in between, your friendships matter. There may not always be a buffalo in the middle of the road, to paint a clear line between right and wrong, or good ideas and bad ideas. But there will be those defining moments, and it's up to you to decide. Will there be rebuke, or will there be hidden love? Will there be faithful wounds? Will there be sharpening, or will there be dulling? Whatever the situation may be, I pray that you will rely on God's word, and always put your friends ahead of your friendships. By doing so, God will only deepen your friendships. It will pave the path to the very best possible version of you. It will define who you are as a friend. 
It will define who you can trust with your friendships. And it will define who you will be in the future. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you personally, Lord, for, for my friends. I thank you for the path that you laid us all on. And Lord, I know that life is tough out there. Life is difficult. Sometimes it's hard to turn around, Lord. I pray for the people here today, God, that you would, that you would open their minds, that you'd help them see clearly what friendships look like there in their lives and really consider the path that they're on. What, is their friendship, what do their friendships look like, God? What would you have them do next? God, I pray that, that you would touch everyone here. I pray that uh, you would make their friendships meaningful. I pray that you would lay in their paths someone that will make a difference in who they are and in who, the person that you see them to be. God, and I pray that you would just hold on to them and make their future bright. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.